Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We're sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time. Hi guys, and welcome to the World Cricket Show, the world's favourite cricket show. My name is Adam Bayfield and I'll be your host for all this evening's thrilling shenanigans. And I'm moderately pleased to be able to say that joining me in the studio once again is the People's Champion, Tony Kerr. People's Champion? That's what I've called you. So, I don't know if I'm happy with that. I can't with it. Anyway, carry on, carry on. I will carry on. <laughs> yeah, how are you? How's it going this week, Tony? Very well, thanks. Yeah, very well. Have you heard the news? <laughs> Have you heard the big news? Can you hear that? It's the pitter-patter of tiny royal feet. <laughs> Wills and Kate are expecting, Tony. Oh. Expecting a royal baby. Worst possible news. 2013 is effectively a write-off for news. I'm no expert, but we've got about nine months of this, haven't we, ahead? <laughs> and, then, and then some, you know. Yeah. It's constant. It is constant. It really is, actually. Well, because the, the worst possible news. Give us a year or two, you know, just to get over the wedding. <laughs> well, the wedding was 18 months ago, and it's still, like, on everyone's <laughs> yeah. radar now, isn't it? I mean, they're still on the cover of Hello! magazine and OK! magazine, you know, every which you, single which week. Which you get every week. Yeah, which I read <laughs> every week. Keeps me busy. Keeps me Gives me something to read. Gives you something to do when you're not watching cricket. <laughs> <laughs> Keeps you off the street corner, you know, just reading hello and okay. And they're on the cover every week. It's a good 18 months plus since the wedding. I'm a patriot, Adam. You know, you know I like my country. So in one sense, you know, I wish, you know, wish Kate all the best, Kate and Will. But, yeah, what we've got, you know, we've got the pregnancy, then the birth, then the, you know, the emergence of the baby. Uh, and then, you know, any number of years of just relentless attention. We've got presumably the Simba moment on the, the palace balcony <laughs> yeah, as well. Of, yeah, Michael Jackson. William just holding. Dangling. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's going to keep the Daily Express in business for the foreseeable future. Well, also, the weather's really bad at the moment, yeah. so there's bad weather and the royal baby. The, the editor of The Express must just be cackling at the moment. Just I laughing into if, his cereal. I wouldn't be surprised if the editor of The Express was responsible for the child. You know? <laughs> uh, it's not cause a scandal here, but it's a sort of thing, it's a sort of press conspiracy that w- w- wouldn't surprise me at this well, point. Nothing would time. surprise me after the Levis inqu- inquiry, am I right, Tony? <laughs> I wanted to make a, a, put an appeal in, really, uh, an urge. I wanted to urge all... Uh, world governments uh, <laughs> <laughs> well this is definitely the forum to do that i know this is the forum this will get a lot of attention i'm sure <laughs> yeah if you're listening out there you know the u.s government the british government nasa anyone like that barry barry obama if you're listening. <laughs> barry. Yeah, i just urge you to accelerate any plans that you might have uh say to build a moon base or put a human on mars accelerate them bring them forward to january or february of next year please because that's just about the only thing that's going to knock this off the front page. <laughs> or the world ending, of course, in December, you know, in a couple of weeks' time. Well, if the world ends, there probably won't be a front page to put anything on. No. Uh, but we need, we need a big story. Maybe cricket can, can provide that. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, to rival the, the royal baby. Yeah, the Ricky Ponting retirement was, uh, <laughs> has been relegated to number two in Hello and OK <laughs> magazine this week. 
Anyway, you'll be able to stay right across this Royal Baby story here at the World Cricket Show, first for Royal Baby News. Uh, But tonight we're going to be talking predominantly about cricket. We've got a very busy show in store for you this week. Uh, We'll be discussing the pulsating conclusion to the series between Australia and South Africa, also talking about Ricky Ponting's retirement. We will then be turning our attention to the upcoming Test match in Kolkata, which starts on Wednesday. And if that isn't enough, we'll also be discussing Andrew Flintoff's first professional bout as a heavyweight boxer. Uh, that was on Friday night. The other thing that happened on Friday night is that you had your birthday party, Tone. Did you have a good one? Very good. You were invited to it. Yeah, and I came. Yeah, it did well. I wasn't just thanks invited. <laughs> yeah. I, I attended. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, thanks for making it a really special one. <laughs> yeah, well, whatever I can do, you know. You're another year older. Do you feel wiser? Uh... <sighs> difficult really don't yeah feel pretty similar still still feel 18 adam you know <laughs> still feel 18 yeah that's, de- that's, and, that's depressing, it's quite, it's quite depressing when you bear and, in mind your yeah, real age and illuminating uh when considered alongside in what i usually do now at the weekend uh because <laughs> yeah, you still feel 18 you still behave <laughs> as though you're 18 um, yeah. But you're definitely not 18. Um, well, it was a bit of a party in your kitchen. In my life, I've never seen so many glasses get smashed as got smashed on Friday night. No, the floor was mostly glass. I don't on know Saturday what was morning. going on. A couple of them were because you felt you weren't getting enough attention, so you <laughs> threw a bit of a tantrum, didn't you? You threw a bit of a wobbly. Yeah. It's my birthday! <laughs> so you threw some glasses at the wall. Yeah. But, were uh, you responsible for any of the smashes? No, I wasn't. But like, it, they, I was oblivious it was, to it. Was, <laughs> I heard them go down. You know, I heard each one. I just kind of carried on. Well, they were all happening around me. I don't know what was going on. Like, I was just stood there and people were walking along, just like knocking glasses off the side with their elbows. Like, not deliberately, but it just happened so many times. There was quite a funny moment where there was a bloke. A bloke. There was some bloke, right? He was on his hands and knees. <laughs> sweeping up some broken glass. He didn't even break that glass. He just took it upon himself to sweep it up. Was that and man you? No, it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't me. You just was, walked on past. It was a really heroic man on his hands and knees. Uh, no, I was just looking on going, you missed a bit. There's was a bit there. Um, but then he, he got all of it in the dustpan and then stood up. And literally, as he stood up, there was a crash behind him as another glass went down. And he went, oh, come on! <laughs> <laughs> and then bent down again to sweep that up. Inconvenient, that. Got no glasses left. That's the main thing. Uh, if I want a glass of water, I can't have one. So I've just got to fill the sink with water and then use my hand to cup it. <laughs> just like it's dunk, a bit, it's a, it's dunk your whole head in the yeah, sink. Exactly. <laughs> just <laughs> like a zebra. <laughs> yeah. Let's kick off the show with the item we call Around the World, on which we discuss things that have been happening around the world. Let's jet off, first of all, down under. I come from a land down under, etc., where this week... There was a thrilling denouement to the series between Australia and South I'd Africa. To, I'd love to have a montage of all your uses of the word denouement. Denouement. In the last couple of years. <laughs> because every, almost every series uh, you end with, oh, I had a thrilling denouement. <laughs> I'm just trying to let people know that I know the word denouement. Um, it's a good word, to be fair. Well, anyway, yeah, the number one ranking in Tess was at stake uh, in a winner-takes-all clash in Perth. It was Ricky Ponting's final test as well, so that just added to the interest and the drama. Uh, And it didn't disappoint. It was high-octane cricket from the get-go. Batting first, South Africa uh, were reduced at one point to 75 for six. They recovered slightly thanks to Faf Duplessis, 78, not out, continuing on his sensational form from Adelaide. But they were eventually all out for 225, uh, with Nathan Lyon taking three for 41. And that looked like a below-par score on a very good batting surface. Uh, But Australia ended up conceding a first innings deficit 
uh, when four wickets for Dale Steyn helped to skittle them for just 163. Building on that first innings lead, South Africa then rocketed along. It was the third fastest partnership of more than 150 in test history between Graham Smith, who made 84, and Hashim Amla, who made 196 from just 221 balls. Um, A.B. de Villiers also scored a century, 169. South Africa were all out for 569 to set Australia uh, an impossible target of 632, and they never looked like getting close to that figure. They were all out for 322. That was actually somewhat better than it looked like they were going to end up when they were 235 for nine. Uh, Good last wicket stand, but in the end, um, it was in vain. Ricky Ponting out for eight in his final test innings. So South Africa won by a whopping 309 runs. So there we go. South Africa win the series 1-0. They arrived in Australia as the number one side in tests and they leave Australia as the number one side in tests. I think the home side might feel a little bit aggrieved to to have lost this series because they did play much the better cricket in the first two games. Probably only rain saved South Africa in Brisbane uh, and then it needed a, a Herculean effort from Faf Plessis to save them in Adelaide. We suspected that Australia might live to regret not taking those final two wickets, and so it proved. But in this particular game, the Aussies probably can't have any complaints, can they? I mean, this was a bit of a hammering. Is this the real South Africa showing up here? Yeah, I think you, you might say that. I mean, with bat and ball, they produced decisive uh, performances, didn't they? Dale Stain, largely responsible for... Uh, one Philander as well, the legend that is. Yeah, largely responsible for putting the kosh on... Uh, that's, that's an expression. Putting the kibosh, I think, yeah, is the putting expression. putting the kibosh was, on Australia. Fumbling around for the there. First innings, yeah, just opening drawers, trying to find that <laughs> expression. Uh, and then, yeah, as you said, uh, Amelot and de Villiers with the bat taking the game way out of Australia's hands pretty much wrapping up the result there and then. And I guess that was the major difference um, between this game and the previous two, is that South Africa's big guns fired, which they hadn't really in the series up to that point. Contrast with the series in England, Smith, Amler, Callis, the pace attack were all you know just on unstoppable form. But in the first two games of this series, Smith and Amler each scored 100, but they failed in their other innings. Callis picked up an injury. Stain and Morkel were pretty wayward. The failure of Stain in particular was um, was problematic. You know, he underlined his importance to this side through underperforming um, in the first couple of games. But he came to the party in Perth. The others came to the party as well. And it was those real sort of big name box office players that finally delivered. And you know, Australia just couldn't live with them. Yeah, I mean, South Africa will be very pleased when they? they've they've broken the curse of the Test mace. If there was such a curse, you, I mean, you were—you've uh, done nothing but talk about the curse of Test match, haven't you? For, yeah, off for the, weeks, off the pod, you yeah. know, at your birthday party, I was having a chat with uh, with people about the curse of the <laughs> Test match, and having a chat with a rapidly dwindling set of people about the curse of the Test match. Nothing goes down at a party better than. Uh, some Tess Mace banter. So it's great. Uh, so that was, I mean, you know, they've come away with a 1-0 victory, which, uh, although you'd say still on balance, despite Australia's good performances in the last couple of years, you'd still say South Africa were expected to win. Uh, they've done it. Can't really complain. Australia unlucky, though, in the, across the series. or not Maybe not unlucky, but certainly uh, deserve the, some plaudits for, for how they performed. Oh, for sure. I mean, the margin of defeat in this game suggests that it, it would have been a bit of a false situation if Australia had won the series. It was more a case of South Africa failing to turn up in those first couple of games. I think it's difficult to argue with the notion that South Africa are the best team 
in the world. They were they were strangely off colour in those first couple of games. But in the end, they did manage to, to shake off um, that torpor. Yeah, and had Australia won this series and replaced them at the top of the rankings, I don't think that would have been a real reflection on the state of Test cricket at the moment. But, you know, there's still room for improvement for South Africa. I think they very much... I think they learned a few things about their side in this series. Firstly, probably that Imran Tahir might not be cut out for Test cricket. I mean, he only played one game, but he has, in his Test career so far, struggled to live up to his billing, and he got absolutely smashed around in Adelaide. Um, Robin Peterson came into this game, took six wickets. He's probably earned himself a run in the team. So too has Faf Duplessis, who has you know inked himself into that middle order with some stunning performances. He looks like an established player, doesn't he now? He just looks like a test player. It's very weird, actually, because in his limited overs career up to this point, he's looked like such a limited overs player. You haven't looked at him and thought, that's a test player in waiting. He's looked like a sort of, he's looked like someone who's who's cut out largely for 2020, but he's come in and looks so solid. The other big positive uh, for them in this game was that AB de Villiers scored 100. It's his first 100 um, since permanently taking the wicket-keeping gloves. That probably means that he'll keep them for the home series against New Zealand. But I still think that the difficulties he's had mean they should at least consider giving Tami Solakili a go, particularly because there's no fixed number six in that team. Dean Elgar came in to replace Jack Rudolph, registered a pair on debut. You contrast his debut with Fafdi plus his debut. He's probably going to be a little bit gutted. It was a great performance from South Africa. You know, the cricketing world order, it might have changed a bit in the last few years, but it's still very difficult to come to Australia and win. So South Africa should be enormously pleased with what was a a tremendous effort to go and win consecutive series away from home in England and Australia without losing even a single test is phenomenal stuff. And they're justifiably the number one team in the world. As for Australia, how do you think they should assess this series? At the moment, they're going to be feeling immense frustration, but should they maybe look at it a little bit differently, perhaps recognise that they were up against a really good side and be proud of the fact that they had such a good go, came a lot closer than England did, didn't they? Or or is that not the Aussie way? Will they be reflecting on the things that went wrong in the most yeah, part? Yeah, people, people like the Aussie cliche, don't they? The Aussie ethos. Yeah. Oh, look, mate, you know, it's not the Aussie way. Yeah, interesting. Uh, yeah, I think they'll, there's some important things, aren't there? You know, obviously Ponting's now gone, so uh, in many ways that's kind of a, a headache that's... Actually, not to call Ponting a headache, but that's a headache that's got this disappeared. Michael Clark got ludicrous amounts of runs, uh, and it kind of sets them up nicely now for the next uh, kind of six to thirty-six months. Yeah, they can they can look ahead and maybe actually start to kind of take a new shape, and Clark can really can really build. Yeah, there'll be a, a concern that maybe the loss of Ponting might be you know sort of pulling the thread, and it it might start to unravel. But I, I wouldn't look at it like I look, that. I, I'm, I'm the other way. I think at this moment, I think yeah, I think it is probably a good thing on balance, and there were some. Some big pluses for Australia in this series. Um, Michael Clark's form, as you say, um, being the most obvious one. But there were also hundreds for Ed Cowan and David Warner, um, which is very encouraging, although they still are yet to convince as an opening partnership. I think they've only passed 50 three times or something in 18 innings together. Uh, Mike Hussey continued to be brilliant. Uh, and some of the pace bowling uh, was also very impressive. But they've still lost this series and there are some significant concerns that they shouldn't just ignore. The failure to win in Adelaide will be very disappointing. Also, while their pace bowlers were good, they do keep on getting injured. There are some terrific quick bowlers in Australia, but keeping them fit is proving to be an impossible task. Pat Cummins and James Pattinson are just constantly breaking down. They're being talked about as, you know, the, the great hopes of Australia in the future. But if they can't stay fit, it's yeah. pointless to pin your hopes on them. And so, and it, you know, it's a real shame. Yeah, they do need to get 
uh, they need to kind of resolve that some way. Well, you, have to, you have to look at the likes of Shane Bond. You know, he could have been could have changed the course of New Zealand cricket maybe slightly more, but it didn't, and so you know Australia find themselves in that position. Yeah, Simon Jane's another one. It's actually kind of reminiscent of England circa 2006, 2007, where just all their bowlers constantly got injured. I don't know whether maybe England started doing something different after that period, because although they still have injuries, it's impossible to eliminate all injuries. It doesn't seem to happen as frequently. Maybe there are things that Australia can do to sort of better manage the likes of Cummins and Pattinson. Mitchell Johnson came in for this game. Took four wickets in the second innings. Were you surprised to see him return? I mean, Perth is the scene of his his greatest test performances, although many would say that that's not a very long list to choose from. Maybe we thought his test career was over, but he has been brought back in. Is this the Steve Harmison syndrome? He fails for a long time in test cricket, gets dropped, does really well in domestic cricket, and you think, well, you can't not pick him now. But is it just that he's he's not up to it at test level? That's maybe a bit harsh on Harmison, I'd say, uh, to compare him to Mitchell Johnson. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Uh, no, I mean... I'd pr- I like Mitchell Johnson when when he uh, you know when he is getting results. He's a quite an engaging uh, cricketer to watch. But yeah, slightly slightly surprised. You you do feel that a drop isn't far away, is it? Really? So lots of things for Australia to think about there. But the most pressing question at the moment is how they move on from Ponting. Were you surprised and sad to see him retire, or were you unsurprised and happy? Uh, Those are your only two options. <laughs> two choices. Kind of a mix and match. No. Nope. Oh. I don't know. Difficult to admit. It was a very emotional time. It's difficult to uh, articulate kind of what I was feeling. Uh, I'll try, though, for you. Yeah. <laughs> benefit the listeners. I'd rather... I'd like it if you at least try. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, sad, you know. Sad in a, in a sense that he's obviously one of the greats. He's been a, a centre point, hasn't he, of, of Ashes series in the last... It went our lifetime, really. But yeah, it was, it's inevitable, isn't it? That they will, they will have to return. Well, he has to retire at some point. Yeah, I, mean, I, I think he chose the right moment. I think it's the right time. Yeah, I mean, I personally think that it was long overdue. He's been little more than a, a shadow of his former self for the last two years, more than two years, I think, at this point. And actually, many of the career obituaries that I've read have sort of... Uh, declared that his decision to retire now is an extremely selfless one sort of you know they've said oh you know he he realized he was no longer up to it so he retired but it's not entirely selfless because if that was the case he would have retired a long time ago like i think you know he he's been clinging on for quite a while purely by virtue of his reputation and he's he earned the right to do that because his reputation was so good but nevertheless that that should be recognized so i do think his retirement is overdue and i think it's probably a good thing for australia's team at the moment because they'll be able to get in someone uh, who's in all probability going to be better than the current incarnation of Ponting. But it's very sad to see him go. It's sad that he's not the batsman that he used to be. It's sad that he has to retire. And it will be very strange when Australia takes to the field against Sri Lanka in a couple of weeks' time and Ricky Ponting isn't there. He has been a fixture um, of the Australian cricket team for 17 years. It was 1995 he made his debut, which is just a ludicrously long it's time It's amazing. Ago. I mean, statistically, he's exceptional, isn't he? Only Tendulkar has more runs uh, than he does in international cricket. Yeah, and Tendulkar's not long for the chop, is he? So, <laughs> yeah, we are. it's definitely a bit of a the sea change, isn't it, in the international cricket landscape? Well, yeah, I mean, We're he's... in the middle of it. You know, Dravid went... These kind of big, long-standing kind of uh, legends of the game. Yeah, Dravid, Ponting, Strauss, Tendulkar soon. Saying that Ponting's been playing since 1995, I mean, Andrew Strauss made his debut in 2004. He, when he retired, he was this sort of veteran legend of the game, been around forever. He made his debut nine years after Ricky Ponting. That's like a um, career. 
after. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. Ponting had had a longer career than Strauss by the time Strauss made his debut. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it leaves a big hole. He's one of Australia's greatest ever players, arguably their greatest batsman since Bradman, one of the great batsmen of the modern era. He scored more than 13,000 runs, an average a shade under 52, uh, with 4,100s. So he was a pretty decent player. To England supporters, he, he was often seen as a bit of a pantomime villain, got booed from time to time. that was time, fine for me. I don't, yeah, some, yeah so I heard some people saying, you know, oh, God, uh, embarrassing that the uh, Barmy Army would boo, but that was fine as far as I was concerned. He was a great player. I think no, no one really denied that. Obviously, there were incidents where he got a bit hot under the collar purely because you know, he found himself on a losing side for quite a lot of the uh, second half of his career, didn't he, against England? Are you thinking of the Gary Pratt moment? Well, that, that was, yeah, that's a, that's a prominent one, isn't it, where he got a little peeved. I, actually, as a kind of character, I think he's, he's a pretty cool guy. I think the boos were kind of a sign of respect, weren't they? It was because England were frightened of him, because the English supporters were frightened of him. That's why they booed. That's why people used to boo me as well, I think, <laughs> when I came out. And, and it, it, he was very much a, a pantomime villain. You know, He got booed on the last tour of England, but at the end of the series, at the sort of post-series presentation at the Oval, he got huge cheers from the crowd. You know, He was a hugely respected figure in this country, I think. And he was a hugely respected figure everywhere. The guard of honour that he got from the South Africans before his final innings in Perth said it all, didn't it? And that was a really special moment. It must have felt pretty good to be Ricky Ponting at that point. <laughs> but it is nevertheless time for him to, to swagger off into the sunset. Hopefully there'll be no Gary Pratt's where he's going. England. On this part of the show, we talk about England. Now, England have been riding high this week after their historic win in Mumbai. Uh, in many ways, they probably wish that they could dine out on that for a while longer. But there is another test match that is now all up in our grill. Uh, the third fixture in this series with India starts in Kolkata on Wednesday. The big news from an English perspective is that Steve Finn has been declared fit to play. He turned out for the England performance squad this week uh, and came through that game okay. Took four wickets in the first innings. So he says that he's fit, that he's raring to go, that he's hoping to be selected. Do you think he should be selected? Presumably Stuart Broad, who was wicketless in the first two tests, would be the man to make way. It kind of looks like that change might happen. Yeah, I think that's the right change to make, for sure. Yeah, the, the, all the talk is of uh, spinning wicket again. So getting your big fast bowler. So get, exactly, getting the big guy. But, you know, England are, yeah, England are pretty well covered at the moment with uh, with Panazar and Swan. Broad obviously isn't in the in the best nick. So, yeah, I'd, I'd say get, get Finn in. Looks dangerous at the moment when he's, when he's fit. You know, if there's not a lot of bounce in there, he's the quickest and, uh, and one of the bounciest. So if anyone's going to be able to get any bounce out of it, it's going to be him. I'm a little bit concerned because... I'm worried that this might be a case of players getting a lot better when they're not in the team. I mean, I think Stephen is a fantastic bowler. I think he's got a huge future at test level. And there's every chance that he could come in and do really well in this game. But people are, I think, expecting too much from him. They're, they're expecting miracles. They're basing it on how brilliant he was in the one-day series in India a year ago. Um, and he was superb. He bowled incredibly well on Indian pitches. But that doesn't automatically mean that he'll be brilliant now. Form changes. You, you need to look no further than Stuart Broad for evidence of that. Broad, of course, is um, the seam bowler with the most wickets in the world this year, but has been awful in this series. So you can't just assume that Finn is going to come in 
and decimate India. Yeah, I, I, but I, yeah, I, I take the point. You know, people can't expect miracles, but I don't think people are expecting miracles, and I don't think England need a miracle from Finn in this test, do they? You know, the expectation surely is that the, the spinners will do the bulk of the work and be the most dangerous aspect of the attack. So Finn really needs, needs to come in and just give that variety. And- Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And at least just do better than Broad is doing at the moment. It uh, probably won't be that hard. And yeah, I'm... I'm, <laughs> I'm I, like, I like Stuart Broad a lot. And I, like, I think, you know, he did go through that quite extended period, didn't he, of, of struggles a couple of years ago. Uh, and then had a really top series against India uh, in England. He's obviously not in the greatest form, and I don't think we should be afraid to drop to drop players, even just for a couple of games. Yeah, I'm not saying that I wouldn't make that change. I definitely would. I'm just trying to sound a, a slight note of caution that naysayer, if you know. Yeah, I'm just trying to bring everyone down <laughs> um, that we shouldn't that we shouldn't expect Finn to run through India. He's still finding his feet at Test level. Um, we saw this in the early part of the summer. Um, that Finn sat out the first two games against West Indies and people were like, well, why is Finn not playing? He'd destroy West Indies. He did play in the third test and he got some wickets, but he he wasn't the best bowler in that game for England. So I'm happy that he's coming in. But as you say, it is going to be the spinners that are going to be the the major wicket-taking threat. Apparently he is bowling quickly and that might be important. We saw the, the damage that Umesh Yadav was able to do in the first game. Broad's major problem has been that he's been miles down on pace and that's the main reason why he's so far been unable to trouble the the Indian batsman. He's basically just been a medium pacer and on these services that's not a great option. As you say, I don't think this will be the end of Broad. Clearly he's lost form in the last six months, but he will be back. Getting dropped might be exactly what he needs at the moment. Let him go away and uh, figure out what's wrong, whether he's not fully fit or whether he's got some problems with his action. I don't know, but uh, go away, work out what the problem is and come back for the New Zealand series, a better player. The other big story in the world of England this week uh, was the appointment of former England spinner Ashley Giles as the team's limited overs coach. Andy Flower stepping aside from that role. He remains in overall charge of the England team as team director, but will only be directly responsible for the running of the test team. Giles um, is the man when it comes to the limited overs side. Slightly unexpected news, I'd venture to say, but should it have been so unexpected, given the relentless schedule of international cricket, was it 
inevitable that flower would look to reduce his workload at some point yeah i mean it's yeah it was it, it was a bit unexpected i think by virtue of the fact it did catch quite a lot of people off by surprise the timing was, was slightly odd you know why it would be announced kind of mid-test series i don't know have you got an answer for that i guess because they're looking uh, they were looking to get giles in ahead of this India Limited Overs tour. Um, and the 2020s come fairly hot on the heels of the test matches. So maybe they just they wanted to make the appointment now to, to give him a chance to get ready for those games. It's been a common theme has for, for quite a few years uh, of discussion. Is the international schedule too busy, too prolonged, too cluttered? You know, all words that you could use. Uh, Congested. But yeah, often, obviously, that's often it's about the, the players and can they perform to the highest level the whole time? Uh, is the congestion causing injuries? But yeah, maybe we haven't thought about the coaches so much and you know, to have one one guy, Andy Flower, doing everything, that is quite a lot, isn't it? Yeah, because the players do get a rest from time to time, particularly at the moment, England are bringing in this rotation policy. Graham Swan's not playing the limited overs series against India, for example. But the coach never gets a rest. And, and he is, has to do all this thinking outside of it. Absolutely. Yeah. It's quite a consuming role. It's like being the England captain. And it's different to being, say, the fielding coach um, or the bowling coach, which must be draining as well. But but it, but it's a role that um, does presumably consume your thought process, even when you're not actually on the job. It's um, interesting. It's kind of a further, uh, further kind of fragmentation of... The England teams, you know, different captains in every format, different coaches in the two formats. It, it kind of, it's all splitting. Well, it'll be interesting to see how things pan out in that regard because, you know, having different coaches for the Test and Limited Overs teams, not, that's not something that we've really seen before, not with England at any rate. They are different entities, but obviously there are a number of players who play in more than one format. There are some players who play in all three formats. Will they have the same relationship the same level of respect with both men if a player makes his debut under Giles in the limited overs team and then gets moved into the test team under Flower, will that be seamless? How will he respond to that? It might not matter at all, but it's just going to be interesting to see how that works. We've seen it in the past when there's been different captains in, in the you know in the different formats. Uh, obviously if the kind of if the one day team starts to do really well and the test team, the test, the England test results kind of go downhill. Is the thinking like, oh, you know, well, Andy Flyer's in the top job, but you know, if it if it starts to go south for him, and Ashley Giles is doing really well with the one day team, do people start saying, well, you know, we need to get Ashley Giles looking after the test team? Giles has been identified as Flyer's long term successor in all formats, but yeah, it will be very interesting because if there is a big disparity between the results of uh, the limited overs and the test teams, either way around, it will definitely be a story that people will be saying, well, should Flower still be in charge of all three or should Giles now, has Flower lost it, should Giles take over the test team as well? So things to think about. Um, the best case scenario, though, is that everything goes swimmingly well uh, and it prolongs Flower's tenure as test coach by two or three years and simultaneously prepares Giles for when he takes over the helm. What do you make of, of Giles's appointment? Yeah. Are you, you happy? With him, the King of Spain, of course. People might not be aware of that story that uh, when Giles was a, a player at Warwickshire, the club shop ordered some mugs that said Ashley Giles, King of Spin, and they came back as Ashley Giles, King of Spain. Uh, so that's always been the chant. Ashley Giles is the King of Spain. Yeah, you know, I like Ashley Giles. I like him as a man. I don't know him particularly well. No. Uh, We've met him at a few parties. But... 
but yeah, it'll be interesting to see what he can he can bring. He's had a bit of success with Warwickshire. He has indeed. Uh, I think he he looks like a a pretty decent coach. He's been a selector for quite a while. If he ever gets stuck for ideas, he could probably do worse than sit all the players down and just play the video of him bowling out Damian Martin in 2005, his ball of the century. That would be enough to inspire any dressing room, I think. It, that would be out every kind of every week, wouldn't it? Just like, <laughs> oh, not this again, Ashley. <laughs> yeah. Lads, just sit down for a moment. Um, <laughs> the side notes now, in which we discuss some of the more offbeat stories of the cricketing week. Arguably the biggest story in the world of cricket this week has been only tangentially related to cricket. I'm going to read you this article from The Independent. All heart and hustle, Andrew Flintoff storms home. Former England cricket star wins contest 39-38 on referee's scorecard. It was never going to be pretty. Those who saw him bat and bowl could vouch for that. But what you always get with Freddie Flintoff is commitment, enthusiasm and heart. On his professional boxing debut, Flintoff added little to our understanding of the game. What he did do was enthrall a packed house who enjoyed every minute of what was, in truth, no better than a cab rank fight. Richard Dawson proved a durable foe and even had Flintoff over with a flash knockdown in the second round. Flintoff simply dusted himself down and continued with his agricultural barrage. This was some kind of boxing debut. Lords with spit and sawdust on the wicket. An ashen face beaded with sweat betrayed his hyped state. He advanced behind a stiff jab and chopping right, catching Dawson with a swathe of lusty blows. Flintoff was a revelation. Not for his command of technique, but his fighting heart. In his eagerness to dispatch his man, Flintoff was often falling into punches rather than planting his feet, as boxing orthodoxy demands. The crowd loved him for it. Four and a half months of training went out the window when the bell went, all those disciplines carefully drilled by the McGuigan clan evaporating in the heat of battle. Freddy was all hustle and bustle. It ended in a blur of meshed flesh tangled on the ropes. Dawson trying to escape the flailing windmill crowding him out. He got the decision by a point. And yes, down he went on one knee, a la Lords after an Ashes Fifer. Freddy, Freddy, yelled the crowd, acclaiming our hero. It was marvellous stuff. Not boxing as we know it, but the punters lapped it up. Did you manage to see the fight, Tony? I've seen, yeah, I've seen bits of it. It was a very long fight, so... <laughs> well, it, was, it was on Friday night, wasn't it? Yeah. Which was the same night as your birthday party, party so I wasn't able to watch it. But I was following it on Twitter... Because uh, I was just really bored at your party, so I was Understandable. just sat in the corner. Fed up a smash, you know, ran out of glasses to smash. So. <laughs> so I was just, yeah, sat in the corner with my iPhone out, just reading Twitter updates of Flintoff's fight. It was a great night. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting one, isn't it? I think there's some, uh, yeah, first off, good effort from Flintoff. I, personally, I'm not a massive fan uh, of uh, celebrities doing things outside of their specialism and getting a lot of publicity for it. Uh, David Williams being one. <laughs> you hate David Williams <laughs> I, so much. I know. I don't. It just really it just bugs me. So in that sense, you know, yeah. I, from a boxing, I think there were quite a few people in the boxing community who who weren't that impressed by what went on. Well, weren't very happy that he was doing. Yeah, it. boxing. I, I I don't pretend to really know a huge amount about boxing, and it is. Yeah, you know, I find it quite odd how how these kind of bouts get set up. Obviously, the opponent for Flintoff was was picked you know, to to be an even match. It wasn't like you know, it wasn't like they were going to put him against someone. Who, who was going to absolutely kill him. Well, yeah, this was a slightly odd thing about it, that the idea that Flintoff had no chance, I think, was sort of uh, born out of some notion that he was going to fight Klitschko. Like, you know, yeah. he's, a, he's a big unit, Andrew Flintoff, isn't he? He's a big, big unit. So if he did the training, presumably he was going to have at least a chance of winning. And fair play to the guy, he did pull it off. I mean, yeah, it, 
He took off. it very seriously. I, I think, you know, boxing as well, from a kind of outsider's perspective, th- th- you know, this didn't necessarily feel to me like any more of a joke than, say, you know, hey, some of the stuff that's gone on with Hey, Chisora, even like Ricky Hatton recently, like his comeback, it just seems like a bit of a, a pointless escapade. Well, this is why I was part. getting a bit so, of annoyed with... A bit, a bit of annoyed. annoyed. <laughs> why I was getting a little bit of annoyed with, uh, yeah, with this kind of negative coverage that um, was circulating in the lead-up to the fight. You know, boxing people were like, oh, how dare he degrade the noble <laughs> art of boxing with this circus. A sport which has never resembled, which has never even remotely resembled a circus. As you say, the Hey Chisora stuff, Mike Tyson. I mean, boxing is a great sport, but I don't think you can sort of sit there and say that Flintoff was degrading it by doing what he was doing. And if you watch the documentary, he really did put the work in. He was really dedicated to it. Yeah, he was in great shape, wasn't he, come, come the, the day? so. Well, you could see, I mean, I, I can understand why when people heard the news that he was going to take up boxing, that they thought he might just be there sort of... Uh, just rock up and take a paycheck or whatever. But if you watch the documentary, he he wasn't doing this just for cash. He wasn't doing it out of some misguided desire for more celebrity. He he really wanted it. We've talked in the past quite a few times about, you know, side notes have cropped up involving Flintoff. Uh, and we've worried that he might be a little bit lost in retirement. We were particularly worried earlier this year when launched into that drunken tirade against Mike Atherton. <laughs> so I'm really pleased for him because hopefully this might sort his head out. I think he did this because he wanted to be a sportsman again. He wanted to feel the adulation of the crowd again. He wanted to prove a few things to himself. Um, and yeah. fair play to the guy. He went out there and he did it. I think, yeah, and you know, despite what I said just a few minutes ago about <laughs> uh, not really liking people doing stuff, capitalising on their own success to to waste my time by doing other <laughs> things. Uh, having said that, actually, you know, Flintoff is... Uh, yeah, is to a certain extent an athlete, uh, and obviously was very keen to do this and capable of doing, uh, you know, of at least reaching certain levels. So in that sense, yeah, it was really good. And you know, we are at some point probably in the near future going to be talking about Usain Bolt playing some cricket, which is also a bit of a joke. But if he's good enough to, you know, to at least be decent uh, and you know carry himself a certain distance, then then why not? Well, that's the point. I mean, people do switch sports. Rebecca Romero was a rower, became a cyclist. You know, there's lots of examples of it. Flintoff went about it in the right way. He, he went out and got a licence. He didn't do it as a big sort of... Yes, there was a documentary about it, <laughs> yeah, but he didn't do it as it's a... It's like he had a sky, you he, know. <laughs> he kept it very low-key. No, there was a documentary, but he, he did it properly. It wasn't just some big uh, celebrity bout. I'm not sure that he'll fight again. If he does interest will gradually wane won't it if he just becomes a second rate boxer now i'm not sure that he ever thought that he would fight more than once i think he just wanted to see if he could do it and and he could if he'd been this fit throughout his cricketing career do you think he might still be playing cricket it's interesting is there still you know, is there still a year in him well not at international <laughs> level certainly but um, maybe even league division four yeah that would be good quite a bizarre lineup of people there supporting him and if you saw like every so often it would cut away from the ring just down to some of the people ringside. And it'd be like Darren Goff and Jack Whitehall, <laughs> Rob Key and John Bishop. Like what do they talk about when they're there together? <laughs> Sean Udall, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I can't think of a comedian. Sean Udall and Reginald D. Hunter. <laughs> Much like David Cameron's interest in the recommendations of the Leveson inquiry, this episode of the World Cricket Show is over. <laughs> That's 
good. Do you like that? <laughs> it's very good. There's a big red button on my chest that says satire. If you push it, it just sort of instantaneously come out Blurt with something, out, something. bitingly satirical. <laughs> Make some comment about Starbucks not paying their taxes or something. Yeah. Um, we did not have a chance today, Tone, to talk about New Zealand's remarkable test victory in Colombo, uh, which squared their series with Sri Lanka. But just briefly, there was some uncharacteristically brilliant batting from... New Zealand, which saw them post an imposing first innings total of 412, thanks to hundreds from Kane Williamson and Ross Taylor. They then worked their way through 20 Sri Lankan wickets, with Tim Southey taking eight in the match and Trent Bolt seven. And Sri Lanka were knocked over for 244 and 195 to give the Kiwis a famous victory by 167 runs. We talked last week about England's win in Mumbai and how historic that was. This win for New Zealand, just as historic, I would say. Yeah, huge for them. Some great performances in that match. Great individual moments as well and a couple of great catches. Kane Williamson's at Gully. Was it Gully? Slip. I tried watching that on, uh, I watched it on YouTube, that catch. On that uh, YouTube. On that YouTube. <laughs> Some of the comments, I, you, know, you shouldn't really ever dig into comments if you're on YouTube. It's, <laughs> it's just, a real it's like rabbit hole, your head it? in a beehive. It really is a miserable experience. <laughs> Just some of them are really funny. They're like people are going like oh, awful camera work. Like yeah, just like the camera went too far. It's like great piece of camera work. Yeah, it did really well. So well, well yeah, done. If, you, if the camera runs out there and listening, well done. It's well, a really yeah, good piece just, of camera work. Just to, to pick it up at all was pretty yeah. remarkable. It goes so quickly. Um, yeah, absolutely ridiculous catch. But yeah, New Zealand. You know they've had they've had a pretty difficult time of it in 2012. Uh, lost five tests in a row before this one. Uh, but yeah, really showing a lot of fight in Colombo uh, and leave Sri Lanka with a drawn series uh, which is a great result a, a foundation i think for improvement over the next few years so a bit of a yawn there from tony yeah, am, a, I, am i boring you it's been a long day adam yeah <laughs> it's been a long I episode a weekend. I'm tired you need a weekend it's monday i know that's really scary isn't it <laughs> are you becoming one of these people who talks about how they can't wait for the weekend from like monday, from monday at 11 a.m I, I was talking about Saturday, next Saturday, at about quarter to eight this morning. It's a bit <laughs> worrying, but yeah, I know, it's bad, isn't it? Anyway, that's it. Have you enjoyed yourself tonight, Tone? I've had a blast. Yeah? Are you getting into Christmas yet? Or are you still being miserable? I'm going to uh, ask no, you this I'm... question every week until the answer is yes, you are getting into Christmas. I'm really going to try my hardest to get into it. You're having a party at Christmas, aren't you? Oh, big time. That's yeah. a, big, a big kind of key signifier that Christmas is on its way when you send an invite out to that. So that's at least ignited something in me. Holidays are coming, holidays are coming, yeah. holidays are coming. So that's, that's good. But uh, yeah, I'm, gonna get, I'm really going to get into coming. it. Holidays are it's, coming. Well, I don't know what they're calling it today, but it's big. I'm just going to do this until Christmas Eve. <laughs> There's an enormous day of online shopping, isn't it, today? It's Is that right? The biggest day. I think it's something like £500 million is going to be spent every 10 minutes in the UK. Blimey. Online. Well, I contributed to that. I did some online shopping did today. What yeah. did you buy? I don't, want to, I don't want to tell Is you. It for me? No, it's obviously not for you, no. But uh, it might be for people that are listening to this. It could be you. <laughs> it could be you. The World Cricket Show advent calendar is going down a storm on Facebook. People are going absolutely bonkers for it, aren't they, Tim? You're like the regular George Takai, aren't you? Suli. His Facebook page, is, he just basically shares things. He's got about a billion followers uh, and he shares really annoying things. <laughs> like, this is... I've, you get, don't get me started on Facebook. Uh, I don't want to go off on a rant here. <laughs> cool. Don't get me started. Uh, well, anyway, yes, I am posting a different video every day I've between been monitor- now and Christmas Eve. I've been monitoring uh, the videos you've been posting. I've been watching them, actually, as well. Yeah. It's good entertainment. 
Uh, yeah, not too many views they've, they've got. You know, you've got you've gone for kind of you've dug out some gems. Yeah, that's uh, not just typed cricket into YouTube and posted the first two or three that you found. That's very much my remit, isn't it? Yeah, so check that out. Uh, go to our Facebook page. That's facebook.com/slash cricket show. Click the like button there. We are closing unstoppably in on four thousand likes, uh, but there are more of you out there than that. So go and like the page. You can follow us on Twitter as well. Twitter.com/slash cricket show or at cricket show whatever's easier uh you can follow tony as well at tony cover t-o-n-y-c-v-r-r read tony's thoughts and everything my actual thoughts are more frequent than my twitter thoughts it's, ma- it's mainly just you having conversations with people that i don't know yeah and i sort of read the conversation i'm like well that was a waste of time other friends yeah <laughs> no no I, I, I need to really i need to start putting stuff on twitter i think well, I'm beginning gags. to think that you don't have any gags. Because, I mean, you've been well, saying like, for a while yeah, you need to start making gags. What happens is, though, that I'll, I'll say a joke, or I'll, make, I'll crack a line, or a you know, witty observation. Line. You'll be in hysterics. Uh, but then I won't post it, because then I think, oh, you know, you've already heard it. So. But I'm not... I know you're not the only one, but I don't like people to think that those are my only gags. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm your most important follower. Anyway, so follow us on Twitter... Uh, leave us a review on iTunes as well. Thanks to everybody who's managed to do that lately. It'll only take you like two minutes, I promise. So, uh, yeah, we do really appreciate all of those. Uh, send us an email. That's worldcricketshow at gmail.com. Do that if you feel like doing us a favour and putting up a World Cricket Show poster. We could send you a PDF of a poster. You could print it out and put it up in your cricket club or office or school or university. Dorm. Dormitory. Frat house. Does anyone have dorms anymore? Don't know. In America, they do. Don't they? You put it up anywhere. Is it? I, I went to put up some of those posters in uh, here in Guernsey. It's a bit of an inauspicious <laughs> first attempt to get some up. I went to the the indoor cricket centre and there was no one there. And there was a number on the door. It said, "Ring this number for inquiries." No phone, and the bloke was out running. And I was like, "Can I put up this poster for my podcast?" And he's like, <laughs> "Yeah, just leave it there." <laughs> and I, d- I don't know if he's put it up yet. We'll have to go down and have a look. Uh, but there are plenty up now, though, all over the place. Uh, so, yeah, send us an email if you're happy to do that. And the other thing that you could do uh, is go to www.cricketshow.net uh, and there you're able to buy a World Cricket Show T-shirt. It's the perfect Christmas gift, either for a friend or loved one or perhaps for yourself. You know, little, treat yourself to a little Christmas Stock, gift. I mean, it's, it works as a stocking filler. It works as a main present, you know. It works as... Uh, it will work for your... Uh, your girlfriend, your husband, your mum, your kid, your dog. Your dog, yeah. Uh, just go out and buy 10, 15. Or even just frame it, you know, and then it makes a nice piece of artwork. Yeah, great, great art. We should enter that for the Turner Prize. <laughs> anyway, that's it. Stay in school, boys and girls, at least until you break up for Christmas. And we'll be back uh, with a review of the Kolkata test next time. That's all for now. Holidays are coming. Holidays are, you down. Holidays are coming. Holidays are coming. You could just do this in the place, couldn't you? Each day, each year, yeah, yeah. Not to smell your fear.
get your royal baby T-shirts. Get uh, well, actually, what we need to do is manufacture a world cricket show royal baby T-shirt. <laughs> It's it's a it's royal baby on the front, world cricket show on the back, or the other way around. It'd be great. Reversible. Yeah, I think your quote was, "If the queen dies, I could get into that." <laughs> <laughs> what I meant by that was, uh, but Flint- well documented in Space Jam, of course. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, don't, definitely cut me saying that. You made a speech. You made a birthday <laughs> speech that was really funny because you were quite. It was quite a late stage of the evening. Um, and you know you're a, you're a little bit worse for wear, and I don't know why, but you thought that people were talking when they weren't. No, like, that people were trying to talk. Act, Adam, that was all part of the act. Yeah, I don't know if it was. It was because you, it was it was, you could hear voices where there was like you, <laughs> everyone was quiet for you, and you were like, "No, guys, I just went shut up, shut up." And, like no one was talking. You're like, "No, over there, be quiet." <laughs> it's just it's quite weird that there's people out there. Isn't it? Yeah, it is weird. It feels like we're actually like, on the radio. Yeah. <laughs> I might just talk on the talk about it. It's like, can someone bring me a weather in? There? <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, dear. Oh, dear. Now let's go to Nigel with the traffic and travel. <laughs> when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.